John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Oh, boy, I tell you what, I can't wait till the phone calls at 11 o'clock because <clears throat> I would imagine most people in this town are very upset with the performance yesterday, particularly of the past coverage and in that 44-34 loss to the Buffalo Bills and how bad that was and how tough it's going to be to try to you know get this thing together. But you can just see that the defense is just not in sync whatsoever. And you see that particularly even though the pass rush was the best it was all season. And so now it's a matter of trying to piece this all together. And I guess the key right now is getting some guys in the secondary healthy. You, know, you got the hamstring injury. It's kept Shaquille Griffin out for two weeks. You've got uh, Quentin Dunbar out there pretty much playing on one leg because of the knee injury. And he looked horrible yesterday. But, of course, Pete Carroll explained why he had to stay out there. So let's get into all of that with the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. Third down and two. Here comes the blitz, and Russ is going to get hammered. Did the ball come out or was he down on the ground? I think it came out as one official points the ball toward the Buffalo Bills. And yet again, a missed blitz pickup. And Klein comes off the corner and Russ never saw him. The fourth turnover of the game as Russell coughed this one up. He just never saw A.J. Klein coming off the corner. Yeah, and that was pretty bad. It's, of course, uh, I mean, you can see two things that are now going sideways on this team. I think it started uh, pretty much with the Arizona game late in the game when they just started blitzing like crazy. And the Bills did pretty much blitzed all day. And, uh, you know, even though the blocking, the pass blocking was good, they just didn't pick up on the blitzes. And uh, guys were coming in and getting hits and 16 hits on Russell Wilson, which is just ridiculous. Then, of course, uh, you've got the, the four turnovers. And that's the one thing that uh, I was always worried about when they want the uh, let Russ cook theme come about because, you know, when you start to do what Russ had to do yesterday, drop back and throw 46 times, I mean, you put yourself in a position where you're going to maybe make more, more turnovers. And here's Russell Wilson, one of the best in football in protecting the ball, and he has eight interceptions. That's the fourth most in the league right now. And so, you know, they've got to come to some formula because they know that, you know, Russ still has the ability each week to put 34 points a game. It's the highest scoring offense in football. But, I mean, if the turnover, if you if you win the scoring battle or, if, or at least get the 34 points and make the turnovers, you're going to lose the turnover battle. And that's when you lose the games. So I think that's very troubling right now. But I think what uh, Pete Carroll's got to try to do is wipe it out of everybody's mind and just say, OK, this was a bad game and we've got to try to bounce back and see what they can try to accomplish because, I mean, it was bad. I mean, Russell completed 28 of 41 passes, 390 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, But, again, not having a running game was going to be the key. So now this week for the big game against the Rams, they need several things. They need Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde. You know, you can see that uh, even though DJ Dallas, uh, you know, did a decent job getting 31 yards on seven carries, you know, he can't get those short yardage plays or the goal line plays that need to get scores. And so, like, for example, they open up the game, they drive down to the one-yard line, and they're down uh, one or two touchdowns, and all of a sudden, you know, they have to make a turnover on a pass. That's not good. And so that's a good thing. And so all of a sudden, 
what you're looking at is that the Seahawks still in decent shape. They're six and two. They still lead the division. And I guess the big thing they also need to do is send nice thank you notes to the Miami Dolphins because the Dolphins have gone ahead and given the Seahawks the chance to at least uh, have the lead in the division because they have beaten every team in this division except Seattle. And uh, it gave the Seattle one. And so a three and one in this division, what's considered to be the best division in football. So very, very bad loss yesterday in the sense that they give up 44 points. And so we're going to be taking your phone calls at 11 o'clock. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of complaining, which, of course, is understandable. Six and two right now. But nevertheless, lots of problems on the defense. Number two. Pete Carroll has landed a multi-year contract extension in Seattle. The NFL's oldest coach, even though he doesn't act like it, will be tied to this city and franchise for years to come. Probably be able to finish his coaching career there. The two sides have tried to keep this deal quiet, but it's been done for a little while. Heading into today's game against the Buffalo Bills, and Pete Carroll will try to get this defense turned around. But he is now locked in, long-term, in Seattle yeah, so Pete Carroll gets a five-year deal, and uh, so that he's now going to be coaching through 2005, and I think that takes him to age 75. And so, good thing that uh, did take care of that. And also, you would have to think it's somewhere reasonably close here. They're getting an extension for John Snyder, uh, but this is obviously going to be the final extension for Pete Carroll. I can't imagine him coaching past the age of 75 years old. I know coaches are getting older and uh, being able to do that, but uh, you know. And I guess the good thing is that it's a five-year deal. Deal. And so now you don't worry about who's going to be coming in after Pete Carroll. You don't have to worry about that uh, for a while. And so I think that's a good thing. And I think it's also showing that ownership is uh, appreciative of what he's been able to do and get that tenure going. And he has this team bouncing back. But of course, they still have to get a lot of things done on defense to be able to uh, you know make sure that the season's successful. I mean, you've got Russell Wilson locked up. Uh, you know, John Snyder needs to get locked up. And we'll be able to see what how that goes. We're to talk to Joe Fan from uh, and see what he says about that coming up, and we'll do that at eleven at ten thirty. Number three, forty-nine yard attempt to tie the game. Snap, ball is down. The kick from Gonzalez is on the way, and it is short. No good. He missed it. The Dolphins take over with a minute fifty-three to go, leading the Cardinals thirty-four thirty-one. Cliff Kingsbury's gone for it on fourth down all day, but had confidence in his kicker on fourth and one. Went for the field goal, and Gonzalez couldn't make it. Yeah, but that uh, did help the Seahawks in the sense that, uh, and I didn't think this was going to be able to happen in the sense that here's Tua, Tua Tagliaviola, going out there and, uh, you know, getting into a scoring match with Kyler Murray in his second game. I just didn't think that would be realistic, but sure enough, he did. I mean, he went 20 for 28, 248 yards and two touchdowns, and that's only his second start. And you go, you go back to last week, he was 12 of 22 for 93 yards. So what an improvement with Tua. Tua shows that he can run, he can move the offense and all those different things and so now the Dolphins have beaten the Cardinals the 49ers and the Rams and so that at least you know gives Seattle a win and now the, what they have to do to add to it is that uh, they got to win on every team in the division now what they've got to do is win 
most, if not all, the other games in the division to lock this thing up. If not, and particularly with the drifting back of the defense, you know that could be problematic. But uh, you know that's the encouraging thing. But uh, yeah, I think everybody uh, is now happy not to have to play Miami. And Miami all of a sudden starting to look like, are they going to contend for a playoff spot? They've got a five and three record. You know, people thought that they put Tua in too early, and that's the way it looked last week. But now, with the way he played last night, he looked uh, you know very very comfortable very sound in how he was able to do things and very exciting so now all of a sudden dolphins are five and three but no more teams to play in the nfc west number four breeze drops into the gun burton is fullback and camara beside him breeze looking to throw over the middle for the end zone caught touchdown it is josh hill the tight end his first score of the season, and New Orleans is piling it on. Drew Brees now has four touchdown passes, and the Saints lead it 37 to nothing. Well, proving ground right now for who's the stars in the uh, NFC South. And again, it's like that's Drew Brees' division. Tom Brady came down there with Bruce Arians, you know, Rob Gronkowski, now Antonio Brown, and they just got killed last night. It wasn't even, I mean, it was what, three out, uh, started the game with two, three, and outs, or three, three, and outs for Tom Brady. That was embarrassing. And so the final score was 38 to three. You know, Brees didn't have to do too much. I mean, he threw for under 300 yards, but the big thing he was able to do is get the drives and get drive everything downfield. And Tom Brady, you know, it looked terrible. I mean, 22 of 38, 209 yards and three interceptions. His quarterback rating was 40.5. And so all that mission to uh, get them, and of course, you know, they came into the game, you know, thinking that they could be the number one seed. And once they saw that, uh, you know, Seattle lost, then they're thinking, hmm, let's take advantage of that and be the number one seed. And boom, they just get destroyed. So the final score was 38 to three. And so now... But Tampa Bay has to come back, and if you're wondering, it was three catches for Antonio Brown. And to make matters worse, and this is the thing, you know, they came out in a two tight end offense, and you know they only got one completion to Rob Gronkowski, none to Cameron Brait. You know, three completions that went to uh, Antonio Brown. But it was an embarrassing, terrible game. And so now they're sitting there with a six and three record, while the Saints are leading the division at six and two with two wins over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Number five. Snap back to Laura. Another handoff here to Travell Harris. Hop step through the lane, through the center of the defense. Finds himself wide open. Turns, looks, has a green in front. Touchdown! A Travell Harris running score of over 40 yards after a recovered onside kick. And with 2.29 left, it's 37-28. Cougs, Travell Harris had so much green, he looked fast, slowed down to see who was near him. Well, good start for Nick Rolovich as Washington State gets a 38-28 win over Oregon State. Freshman quarterback Jalen DeLora, it was pretty good. 18-33, 227 yards and three touchdowns. And so the Cougs were able to jump off to a good 28-7 lead and then just hold on and hold on and keep on going and then just ice the game. And they iced it with a 44-yard touchdown run from Travell Harris. So Washington State now gets a big test coming up on Saturday when they take on 11th-ranked Oregon. And they were 1-0 right now. Oregon, Oregon, meanwhile, beat Stanford 35-34 in their season opener. No season opener for Washington. Uh, they did, had the game canceled because of the COVID testing down in uh, California for Cal. And, of course, uh, Utah, Arizona State, that was also wiped. Arizona, that was wiped out. So kickoffs for the Cougs and the Ducks is going to be 
four o'clock. Oh, they're going to announce that at four o'clock today, and that's going to be for Saturday. In fact, no, in fact, they did announce this. It's going to be four p.m. this Saturday, and that's going to be announced later on by the Pac-12. Hey, listen to the show uh, and via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review and relive what uh, P. Carroll was trying to say about the defensive performance yesterday. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. And so uh, lots to go on right now. I was trying to figure out <clears throat> what uh, P. Carroll is going to do <clears throat> to get the defense together, particularly with its coverage. And that's, I think, the big problem. And here's the weird part about all this <clears throat> is that uh, here is the best pass rush this team had all year. You know, they got seven sacks. <clears throat> it would have been eight were it not for a penalty. And uh, that that was looking good. I mean, you can see that it was a great move to make that trade and go get uh, Carlos Dunlap. I mean, he looked he looked exceptionally good, particularly at 280, 85 pounds rushing from the edge. I mean, big game for Jaron Reed, two and a half sacks. And, you know, you saw that a couple years ago when, uh, you know, you had Frank Clark here because, you know, there was such an attention to Frank Clark that it opened things up on the pass uh, so that, uh, you know, Reed could come in and get pressure on the quarterback, and he had that great sack season. And so that looked good, but everything in the secondary looked bad. So I know Pete Carroll was on, and he had to say this about what's going on with the secondary. How do you equate, you get nine, almost nine sacks in this game because you have the holding call, you have that call that, call that gets called back, seven sacks total, but the defense is having such issues in the, in the passing game. Is is there a positive that you take out of it at the same time as just looking in the mirror and saying, man, we had some really issues stopping the pass? Yeah, well, what we've been kind of grousing about for some time is pass rush, you know, and, and, and getting after the quarterback. In the last couple of weeks, you know, we, we, we're tallying 10 sacks. You know, that's a whole different turnaround for us in that regard. And, and uh, it didn't translate into us winning the football game, unfortunately. You know, if I if we'd have gone into the game saying they rush for 30 yards and we'll get seven sacks, you know, I thought we won the football game going away. Uh, but it they decided to not run the football, and, and so they just kept ch- chucking it and throwing it around, and the quarterback did a terrific job, as he has done, and, and it played into his his strengths. He's really good once he moves out of the normal rhythm, and he just kept finding guys, and they we act, we made some real mistakes uh, uh, early in the game. It just fundamental things in, in coverage that we can do right. We do right a lot, and, and we just didn't read things properly and so that that led them to you know they, had, they needed a 50-yard drive the first time and, and that was all they needed with the one big play it was a big mistake on that on the touchdown so uh you know there's there was stuff that's really clearly the things that we practiced on that we can do right that didn't carry over to the game so we know we can fix those things uh and so we have to get that done so so i'm looking at it you know differently defensively than than you guys are i would think that uh you know oh god well, what do we do now well we, we just have to keep getting better and clean things up and and in that that we have to see if we can play off our ability to generate the pressure and and, uh, and make those things turn out positive. You know, there was one really bad uh, pressure yesterday versus the, the screen that got out and went down to the you know, put them in scoring position again. That was a, a real bad as- aspect for, of of our pressure game, but it worked out quite well for the most part. So we're getting we're, we're going to make some progress here, and uh, coming off that game, it won't be hard to get better. Yeah, that's for sure. It's like it can't get any worse. 261 yards. Is that what it is right now? <clears throat> allowed passing. 262.1 yards allowed passing. I mean, that's amazing when you think about it. 
262.1 yards passing. I've never seen numbers like that. Nobody's seen numbers like that. I mean, what, the next closest is like about 280, 282. I mean, that's, you know, they're giving up almost 80 yards a play, a game now, over the uh, limit as far as pass. And so this has got to be fixed. And you would think it would start to come together because – as Pete did say, it's like, hey, you tell me that we're going to get seven sacks and hold the team to 30 yards rushing. You figure that's going to be a win. But, I mean, they ran out of options. I mean, Ugo Amadi not being available, Shaquille Griffin being out there. They had to keep – he's been out. And then, you know, they need both uh, he, Amadi back. You know, DJ Reed didn't do as well this week as he did in his first game. Uh, and so everything just kind of fell apart. And, you know, here they were with Lyndon Stevens and, you know, guys that uh, had not played before. And so they had to stay with, uh, you know, with Dunbar, even though you could tell, I mean, he was so far down as far as his ability to run. I mean, basically out there on one leg. And so I don't know, Curtis Rogers, it's like uh, (coughs) this is about as bad as it gets. It is about as bad as it gets. Uh, Buffalo moved the ball at will yesterday. I believe only one of their drives didn't end in a score and that or or an attempt for a score. Uh, They missed that field goal at the end of the first half, and then they had a punt in the second half. Those were the only two drives Buffalo had yesterday that didn't end in either a score or them trying to get points. Uh, Pete Carroll was asked after the game yesterday what gives him hope that the defense will improve. Here was his answer. All kinds of things give me hope. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I, I just really, I, I got to get back and watch the film, see what happens, see what everybody looked like. Um, it's the first chance for us to see a few guys out there. We, we expected to, to get more of a boost than we did. He, he did a really nice job, you know, being resourceful, um, moving around and, and making plays. He made in the first half, it seemed like every time he moved, he made something happen, made a first down, um, which we'd seen him do. And, and, uh, and all, we didn't disrupt him in, anywhere near like we needed to. So I mean, it's, what gives me hope is, is that we're, we're going to get better and we're going to do better and uh there's a lot of guys that played for the first time together and so we got to see if we can improve ourselves in a lot of ways john how much was yesterday's performance because of sort of the unfamiliarity guys had with playing with each other carlos dunlap his first time in a seahawks uniform he still performed well yeah, uh, the yeah, defense yeah. the defensive line actually was the one bright spot seattle had yesterday uh, Jamal Adams back in the lineup. You know there was some rust there. How much was it the unfamiliarity some of these guys had with each other? It has to be it has to be a part of it because uh, they just weren't in sync and they weren't even in sync at the linebacker in pass coverage because you know KJ Wright got beat a couple times. I mean just nothing seemed to be in sync. And when you think about the idea that uh, you know I guess it shows the importance of Shaquille Griffin. And so uh, I would imagine that you know when you have the conversation it's like oh, who's going to get the uh, contract extension in the second you know that Jamal Adams <clears throat> will get one and you figure right now it's going to be Shaquille Griffin <clears throat> getting one too <clears throat> and so uh, because you see his value not in there and so I think that uh, you know when you think week to week I mean this group has not been together whatever and so uh, you know stay tuned to that but I'm, I'm just I'm just amazed how out of sync everything was in the secondary and again I guess I, I, would you say that uh, you know, Dunbar was playing at about maybe 70%. Oh, maybe Oof. 65, maybe even 55%. He was getting beat all day long. Uh, I saw this morning Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network, he was breaking down plays on his Twitter account saying, yeah. oh, Stephon Diggs had a monster game. He was incredible. But how much of that was 
Diggs's play and how much of that was Quentin Dunbar just not being healthy enough to really stick it out out there yesterday. Pete Carroll spoke about Dunbar saying he sucked it up, but uh, you know they they could really use some reinforcements. We have to keep bringing it together, and we got to make sure everybody can play and everybody's right and all that. I think Dunbar sucked it up today in, in a way that you probably don't recognize um, right now because he looked like he was he was struggling. He was surviving a little bit more than we wanted to. Uh, we need to get uh, Shaquille back out there to help us out and. Uh, and, and we, just, we just need to help him more, too. We didn't help him enough. It felt like Dunbar yesterday was overcompensating because of that injury. There were so many plays yesterday where it looked like he was lining up you know, 10 to 15 yards off the line of scrimmage, and specifically that screen pass on 3rd and 16 that allowed Buffalo to get 33 yards and, and get into the red zone. Uh, that, to me, was the, the play where it looked like Quentin Dunbar just had no juice. He had nothing to give at that point, and, and yet... The Seahawks kept him out there, maybe because they just they the belief in Lyndon Stevens isn't so great or or what have you. But John, at some point, they should have gone and said, "Look, Quentin, you're you're giving us your all. We know it, but right now you're you're hurting the team by you know just allowing so many yards." Uh, against you, and it just really came to backfire against the Seahawks. Yeah, it really did. And now, uh, you know, you have to wonder, it's like, how, how's his availability? And, of course, I know Pete was asked about the availability of everybody else, and the only one that he said that he's pretty certain might be able to come back this week with a chance, and that's Mike Yapati. But uh, all, one of the things he also brought up is that, uh, you know, with particularly with the secondary, with Adams and uh, no Griffin, no Amadi, and that they don't get a chance to practice together. You know, Dunbar, for example, he only practices one day a week, and that doesn't help out particularly if you're new to this defense. And so, uh, you know, that has to be a big factor. So overall, I mean, it's a mess right now, and it's got to be fixed up because now these two games in ten days. Remember, of course, that's a Thursday game against the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, that's going to make life even tougher. So, uh, you know, they've got to try to figure out how to get this all done because it was not good yesterday. 44 points, 362.2 yards passing allowed, not very good at all. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Joe Fan from NBC Sports Northwest. See his thoughts are. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios, on demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Joe Fan from NBC Sports Northwest. And so, as ugly as that was yesterday, how do you sort out the mess that's known as the pass defense? Well, I don't know where you start because they haven't been good in uh, man defense. They haven't been good in zone coverage. Uh, it's been an all-around mess. And so, I think there was reason for optimism surrounding the pass rush with. Carlos Dunlap and Jamal Adams coming back into the fold, but Jamal Adams has been susceptible in coverage. And so without Shaquille Griffin with Quentin Dunbar banged up, um, you know, there's not a lot of reasons to look for optimisms and silver linings in terms of what's happening in the secondary. And it is alarming. And I think a lot of it falls on the coaching staff. You know, I think when Pete Carroll expressed his surprise that the Bills uh, ditched their running game altogether with how bad the Seahawks pass defense has been through seven games, given that Quinton Dunbar was hurt, given that Shaquille Griffin wasn't playing, given that Ugo Amadi was out. Those are all legitimate reasons for why they would go after the Seahawks uh, in the secondary. And so that was alarming a bit. You know, I think the coaches have to do a really serious uh, soul-searching this week uh, and figure out how they can make adjustments and put their guys in the best possible positions to to try to make this thing work. Because right now, they're a huge liability uh, in the back end of their defense. And, you know, that's got to improve. Giving up 44 points is obviously... 
uh, no way to go win a Super Bowl. No, no way. Like I know it's a, the let Russ cook uh, idea is out there and still has good success, but they're cooked if they can't get this defense better because as far as being a, a, a Super Bowl team because 362.2 yards they're giving up in the pass. Never seen anything yeah. like that. It, it's it's pretty, it's terrible. And I think what's what's crazy is it's not even like you need you know marked you know improvements to where they're one of the best defenses in the league, right? I mean, you're just looking for respectability at this point, right? Right. Right now, the Seahawks you know are a liability defensively, and so you're just trying to get to the point where you can have us you can have stretches where you play good defense and can get stops without necessarily forcing turnovers. Because I think it's the takeaways that have masked a lot of the deficiencies you know, over the last couple of seasons for the defense. But you know, when you don't have stretches where you can just say you're playing good football and outplaying another team, you know, without these one-off plays that, that really are the momentum swings, you know, I think it's going to be really hard for this team to put teams away. And you've seen that. Again, this has been the same script we've seen the last two seasons. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, it's alarming for sure. Um, and uh, I'm not sure where they go from here. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I, I would have to think that uh, they're, they're, uh, as, as they hate to go back to a soft defense, but I think they're going to have to go back into uh, more uh, more zone coverage because, again, covering for everybody else. But then part of the problem is, you know, who's available to even practice? I mean, Dunbar's lucky to get one practice a week with that knee. I mean, Jamal Adams coming off the groin. You know, no update as far as Shaquille Griffin and Ugo Amadi. And so it got so bad yesterday that they had to left Dunbar on the field because they had two completely inexperienced cornerbacks to, uh, you know, come in there and challenge because there's no Nico Thorpe or anything of that nature. So you throw all that together, and it's like, okay, well, you got to get these guys to even practice together, but how many guys are even going to be on the practice field Wednesday or Thursday? Yeah, I think they're to the point where it's just time to start throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks, right? It can't get a whole lot worse. And so whether that means moving Jamal out of the, you know, giving him some reps at linebacker and throwing an extra safety on the field and Ryan Neal, whether it's trying Ryan Neal at corner, because uh, he's got some experience there. Um, I do think it's on, you know, I asked Pete Carroll about it yesterday saying, you know, do you feel like you left Quentin Dunbar in too long? Um, and he said, well, you know, we had to. And so, no, I don't have any regrets, but they ultimately did take him out, right? So that decision, in my opinion, I disagree with Pete there, and I think the decision should have been made sooner where, you know, he wasn't able to play at all. The answer was, oh, we need more, you know, help his side. He was a non-factor out there. It was basically playing 11 on 10, given how much cushion he had to play. So take your chances throwing an inexperienced guy in there and say, hey, just go fight your tail off, but at least you got two healthy knees out there running around and trying to cover guys, right? I mean, Dunbar didn't give you anything, and, and to me, throwing more help is why it wasn't the answer. So, uh, again, I mean, the personnel is an issue, but, but I would also say that there's still too much talent on this defense, uh, even if the guys who are healthy, for things to be this bad. And so, um, you know, Pete Carroll has basically said after every game, oh, we, we should have given these guys more help. I wish we would have made these adjustments sooner. And that's been a recurring theme each and every week. And at some point, you just got to go find a way to get the job done. And so, again, I go back to, the coaching staff really needing to, you know, dig deep here, uh, look inside and inwards at themselves and, and do some soul searching of how they can figure this thing out. Yeah, no doubt. And the irony of this is all of a sudden it was the pass rush that was going to be the problem, but now the pass rush is actually getting better. Carlos Dunlap looked good, best game of the year for Jaron Reed with two and a half sacks, and they were able to get seven sacks total, and that's ten in two weeks. Yeah, what's crazy is, like, it's not just a one, you know, put your finger on one thing, this is the issue, you fix that, all your problems are solved. You look at 
over the course of the last three weeks, the Seahawks have had one game without a single quarterback hit, and they've also had a game without a single pass defended. So um, you're right, the the, the, uh, the pass rush was improving, and yesterday's seven sacks was huge, given they only had 12 coming into the game through, through your first seven games. But um, the defense's problems are vast and varied, and so... Uh, which makes it a much more challenging problem. But you know what? Pete Carroll just got this extension. He's going to be sticking around. It's not like he's going anywhere. Um, and so, yeah, congrats to him. But, okay, you got to figure this thing out because your offense right now is very clearly good enough to beat anybody. And uh, that's, that's pretty obvious, uh, especially with how D.K. Metcalf has emerged as you know one of the best wide receivers in football already in just his second year. But uh, when you can't put teams away, uh, and when your defense is bad enough to let anybody hang around, you're going to have a really tough time going through an NFC playoffs where you might have to beat Drew Brees, Tom Brady, uh, Aaron Rodgers, or, you know, or multiple, multiple of them on your way to the Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a conundrum, uh, for them to figure out. Yeah, it really is. And so now it's a matter of, uh, you know, getting down there. And of course, you know, one of my worries as far as what they would do with the let Russ cook idea is that uh, when you start to throw 38 or more passes or 38 or more dropbacks, you're more vulnerable to the sacks and the turnovers. And now, I mean, there's been two games where Russell Wilson has, you know, been involved in losing him because of the turnovers. I mean, four turnovers yesterday. Yeah, that's not good enough. It's not going to get the job done. And, you know, I think you've seen. To me, and he would never admit it, you know, I'm going to ask Pete Carroll about it today. I'm not sure he would as, as well, but, you know, you would imagine Russ is pressing a bit, you know, understanding that any time the Seahawks have to punt or aren't able to score touchdowns, there's a chance that you know, the opposition is going to find the end zone against the Seahawks defense. So it's crazy to think that the Seahawks and their two losses have 34, uh, 34 points in each of those games. And yesterday, I, I wouldn't say, I think the game script kind of demanded them throw the ball as much as they did. Arizona, you could argue otherwise. Um, because they had to lead the whole game, but when you you know when the defense is giving up 24 points over the first four drives for the Bills, you're going to have to just drop back and chuck it around. So you know a couple of that protection issues. I mean AJ Klein coming untouched and just blasting Russell Wilson. You know you could argue Russ should have known it was coming, should have felt it, um, but that's tough to deal with. Again, like you said, that's going to happen. Uh, the interception, uh, the first interception, I think you got to give it a chance, right? Nobody's open. Probably wasn't the best play call. Um, but there's no sense in throwing it out of bounds or taking a sack there. Uh, maybe you get lucky in a pass interference in the end zone. So that one's not a huge deal, in my opinion, on Russ. Uh, but the second one was bad, forcing the ball into triple coverage, and Trey White gets him. Um, so, yes, I think it, it, it is a little bit of a nuanced conversation, but I think it's, it's on Russ to a degree. And also, I think it makes sense that he would be pressing a bit, given how bad the defense has been. Yeah, no doubt. I think also we found out the importance of Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde because even though DJ yeah. Dallas averaged 4.4 yards a carry, uh, you know, he, he was not good in getting that extra yard and short yardage and goal line, those different things. And, you know, they need the bigger backs to be able to get that. Yeah, I think Chris Carson just kind of provides a, a calming presence when he's in there. You know, he's, he's so physical and so uh, dominant as a runner. He's a great pass catcher, but he also just kind of has this calm, relaxed presence, right? I mean, he is just as even, even keel as they come throughout a game. And I do think that the offense benefits from just knowing he's there. Um, and for good reason, right? I mean, he's productive, he's a great leader, but, you know, I think he's a great tone setter as well. And so for a number of reasons, um, I think Pete, you know, Chris Carson is proving to Pete Carroll and the Seahawks that he is an invaluable part of this team, of this offense. And the Seahawks are really going to have to think long and hard uh, about whether they, whether or not they want to let him walk during the offseason, which is a challenge given, you know, the amount of pieces you're going to need on defense as well. But 
I completely agree with you that his uh, absence is being felt in a major way. Yeah, no doubt. And, of course, no update as far as whether he's going to be able to come back. And so one thing I was wondering about, because, you know, watching Arizona blitz and watching the Bills blitz, all uh, that seems to be an issue right now that's affecting this uh, this offense at times. Yeah, I think teams are doing a really good job of, of changing up their looks. And that you've seen now uh, in these two losses where teams are able to dial up blitzes the Seahawks aren't able to handle. And I think you saw the Seahawks did finally get home. Uh, you know, more obviously as the game wore on uh, on Sunday. But um, at the same time, you know, how many times did they bring five or six and, you know, it's picked up beautifully and Josh Allen has plenty of time to throw. I mean, the Seahawks are, are they're on their heels a bit in terms of the pressures that have been sent their way. And so you credit the Bills, you, you credit the Cardinals for, for, you know, dialing up those timely blitzes. You just don't see that as much with the Seahawks where guys are getting home untouched. Um, and, and like you said, I mean, that's, that is a, a byproduct of having to drop back and no teams knowing you're going to drop back as much as you do, you know, gives them an opportunity to, you know, take those chances. And, you know, we've seen it work against the Seahawks and their two losses. No doubt about it. And so, uh, Joe Fan, of course, joining us here from NBC Sports Northwest, what do you have on the podcast and what do you have coming up this week? Yeah, excited for the podcast this week. And we have Terrence Metcalf, DK Metcalf's father on the show. Uh, looking forward to chat with him, um, you know, about DK, his second season. Um, and just the the story between them and the relationship between them. So looking forward to that. And then uh, it's a lot of midseason review stuff this week. You know, where did the Seahawks go right? Where did they go wrong in their offseason moves, both in free agency uh, and during the draft? So uh, definitely a big week. I mean, these two games for the Seahawks against the Rams and Cardinals are uh, season-defining games, in my opinion. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how they uh, they handle these contests. Absolutely. Hey, Joe Fan, thanks for joining us. John, appreciate it a lot, as always, man. Okay, sounds good. And, of course, uh, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. <clears throat> the Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at 5. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines and catch you up on what's going on in the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, Week 9 was wild. Certainly, <clears throat> so far, what there's been 11 teams that have scored more than 30 points. Uh, <clears throat> so offense remains key. Uh, there was, what, 11 quarterbacks that threw for over 300 yards. And I don't know what's happened to the rushing part of it uh, because I mean, certainly injuries have played. I know it was a big day for Dalvin Cook and getting 206 yards. But you know, the only 100-yard runner uh, yesterday was a quarterback, Kyler Murray. He had 106 yards. I mean, he had 99 yards. And, of course, you look at the, the guys who did decent rushing the football, virtually none of them were big names other than Dalvin Cook. I mean, you know, you have Robinson down in uh, Jacksonville, <clears throat> James Robinson, who had 99 yards. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey came back, did some good things, but now they're worried a little bit about a shoulder injury. And so, you know, you didn't have Joe Mixon, you didn't have Chris Carson, you didn't have that. So just th- these games in this these weeks just keep getting stranger and stranger. And, of course, uh, I never thought that a second-game quarterback like Tua would be able to win a shootout, particularly in his debut, only completing 12 of 22 for 93 yards. But not only did Tua come in and win that uh, shootout, he was able to come back and, and – two drives to win the game, a 93-yard drive in the fourth quarter that started with about 11 minutes left. 
And then he got the game-winning field goal drive. So you just kind of shake your head and says, I don't know, Curtis, what, this is just a very strange year. It is. It's going to be probably the most unpredictable in quite some time. I mean, there's such an imbalance between the conferences. The AFC is clearly the better conference than the NFC. And I think last year was kind of the opposite, wasn't it, for most of the season? The Chiefs, obviously, and the Ravens, they were doing their thing atop the AFC. But for the most part, it seemed like the NFC was where the tougher games were were going to be found. But this year, it's completely flipped. Uh, This year, the AFC very much the top dog uh, in terms of the the conferences head-to-head. The Seahawks found that out yesterday as the Bills really had their way with them offensively against Seattle's defense. Uh, Luckily for Seattle, though, they only have one remaining Mm -hmm. AFC game, and it's against the worst team in football, the Jets. So, I mean, that bodes well for Seattle going forward. But, John, getting back to that Tua performance against Arizona yesterday, really showing some poise and, I think also you wonder if there was some motivation from Tua uh, heading into Sunday because of those rumors that were maybe a little unsubstantiated that Miami was using this as a tryout for potentially next year's draft when Trevor Lawrence and and a couple other guys become available. Miami has that Texans first-round pick next year, which could be a a top-five pick or so. Uh, From what we saw yesterday with Tua, they're, they don't need uh, any sort of reinforcement at the quarterback position. Uh, no, it looks like uh, he is the real deal. And that's why you know you, you hear these stories and you say, that doesn't make any sense. You know, because, again, remember, the Dolphins were the team that traded for Josh Rosen, and that didn't work out, and that cost them a second-round pick and more. Then they came back and you know were lucky enough to get to it without getting the first pick in the draft. And so, what, they're going to you know wash him out without even playing him? And we're going to audition him? I mean, he's the quarterback for the next several years. Yeah, he's maybe the most sure thing they've had at the quarterback position since Dan Marino, yeah. uh, which goes back, what, 22 years now since Marino last played? It was mm-hmm, the 98 mm-hmm. season when he retired. Uh, speaking of quarterbacking across the NFL, yesterday we saw – Kyle Allen, Washington quarterback, he goes down with an ankle injury that looked pretty bad. Uh, It looks like he's going to be out for the season. So that means Alex Smith is probably going to be the starter for Washington going forward, John. Do you think Washington will go with Alex Smith beyond this season, or, or is it just kind of playing out the string here before they reassess their quarterback position next year. Well, I mean, of course, they're going to be in a position to draft a quarterback, so uh, I think you take it you know, year by year. But remember, they're, they're, they're so bad. I mean, you know, all, they can't beat Daniel Jones. I mean, what Daniel Jones has, you know, the Giants quarterback, <clears throat> has five wins, right? Four of them are against the Redskins. Ooh. How weird is that? And so, uh, yeah, but I thought it was amazing that uh, Smith was able to come off the bench and be able to throw for over 300 yards. That was encouraging and certainly is uh, locking in what might be the uh, comeback player of the year because, again, nobody thought he'd ever be back on the field. And here he is coming back and, you know, throwing for over 300 yards and now taking over the starting job. But, uh, you know, you can tell that, uh, you know, you still have to worry because of how bad his injury was, whether they – you know, worry that he can get hurt again because what did he have? 19 surgeries on that leg and uh, so many things that, you know, it took so long to come back. But uh, at least, you know, he gave them a chance to have a pretty good game. 23-22, they lost to the Giants. But uh, no, I think that uh, he's going to be the quarterback. John, also in the uh, action yesterday, we saw in Sunday Night Football, mm-hmm. the Saints just absolutely Oof. destroy Tampa Bay. 
Saints have won five straight after that one and two start. They're starting to get a little healthier as well. And once they work Mike uh, Michael Thomas back in the offense, uh, you know who knows what the ceiling is going to be for New Orleans. Are they uh, in that conversation with Seattle and Green Bay and, and even, well, obviously with Tampa Bay? They've destroyed them twice. Mm-hmm. Has New Orleans uh, kind of cemented themselves back among the contenders in the NFC? Yeah, in fact, I think right now, uh, well, you know, with Seattle being 6-2, and two, and I know 6-2 and two for the Saints, is that uh, you might want to say they're the number one seed at the moment. And, of course, you know, it's amazing how things can change so quickly. Because I posted them as the number one seed in the NFC you know, with their defense, with uh, Drew Brees, with Sean Payton at the beginning of the year. Then they come out. They were a little bit flat against Tampa Bay, but they won. And then their defense you know, has been awful most of the time, except for last night. No, and no good coverage or anything of that nature. And, you know, they've been you know barely limping to get these victories. And, of course, they had to do it without uh, their top two wide receivers. And so they get Emmanuel Sanders back and Michael Thomas. And here's Breeze. He spreads the ball to 12 different players. 12. And <clears throat> not that he put up great numbers. He didn't get over 100, 300 yards. But he just kept driving them down the field, driving them down the field. And the Bucks had no answers. And all of a sudden, you know, the move to get uh, Brady <clears throat> with some theme, and it looked like, hey, maybe they are going to be a Super Bowl team. Now you start to shake your head and say, wow. And I don't know, were you impressed with Antonio Brown or not? It was a very lackluster performance. I mean, yeah. three receptions, 31 yards, five targets. Uh, you can take it or leave it every single week with that kind of production. I mean, you can get that from anybody. You don't need to bring in the you know somebody as controversial as him to, to get that kind of production. You look at the guys who got less targets and less receptions than him uh, on the on the game yesterday. Uh, Scotty Miller, who had a who had a really good game a couple weeks ago against the Raiders for Tampa Bay, he had one reception for ten yards. Gronk finished with one reception for two yards. Yeah, uh, I mean he had six targets, but still, I mean that offense looked completely out of sync last night. Three interceptions from Brady. Uh, it was all bad from Tampa Bay. And, I mean, this is an offense that everybody expected would be putting up record numbers, especially with how many targets that they've got for, for Tom Brady, Evans, Godwin, Brown, Gronk, uh, O.J. Howard, all these guys. Heck, I mean, even Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, those guys coming out of the backfield. It was not there at all yesterday, and you kind of wonder now, uh, does Tampa Bay have it enough, or, or do they have the right mix of guys to get uh, to make some noise in the NFC postseason? Because right now, as it stands, they would not get a home playoff game unless some things broke their way. Uh, because New Orleans is the top that oh, yeah. NFC South. Yeah, and of course they got the tiebreaker. Now they got the two wins. <clears throat> and Brady looked old yesterday. And again, what I what I still wondered about, and I know we talked about it last week, would getting Antonio Brown get things out of sorts? Now they came out and they played. You know, they started with a two tight end offense, <clears throat> but as you mentioned, Gronk had six targets and only one one catch for two yards. So that took things away. And then of course they were trailing so much that they had to just junk everything and go three receivers, four receivers and all that. But in the end it was just a disaster. Yeah, they had no juice at <laughs> all yesterday. Uh and it showed from the opening whistle to the mm-hmm. final one, uh they were just happy to get out of there alive. Yeah, and of course, uh, coming up now, we're going to take your phone calls, and I'm sure it's going to be pretty feisty as uh, everybody looks back at the defense. Get your calls on the Seahawk loss, 866-979-3776, 206-421-ESPN. Give us a call. Give us your thoughts. Uh, Team 6-2, and two, but right now, defense looking bad.